In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Where two or three are gathered together, there is conflict. Have you ever watched Survivor? Inevitably, it takes just a few hours after contestants have been dropped off in some beautiful setting before they're arguing and fighting and lying, bad-mouthing and betraying each other, making allies and making enemies. But we Christians are different, right? We Christians are governed by different principles like love and cooperation, mercy and humility. We are nice. We Episcopalians are really nice and inclusive. And while that may all be true, Christians are not immune to conflict, to offending and being offended, hurting and being hurt. What may or may not make a difference, what may or may not make us different, is how we handle it. In our gospel today, Jesus presents some uncomfortable instructions for managing conflict. Naming what's wrong, holding people accountable, and when push comes to shove, letting offenders be to you as Gentiles or tax collectors. Admittedly, as a nice Christian myself, that makes me squirm a little. After all, isn't God a God of mercy and love and forgiveness? Yes. Yes. And that's exactly why Jesus gives these guidelines. Guess what comes right before them? The parable of the lost sheep. Right before our reading today begins, Jesus asked the disciples, What do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, doesn't he leave the 99 in the mountains and go search for the one that went astray? And when he finds it, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So, Jesus says, it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. That's what leads into today's reading, and guess what follows it? Peter's question about how often he should forgive his brother and Jesus's answer, seven times 70, which is to say, a lot. So here we are, sandwiched between a parable about restoring lost sheep and a teaching about forgiveness, which suggests that we should hear Jesus's teachings today in the context of God's desire for restoration and mercy. When there's been an offense, Jesus teaches, engage in face-to-face -face confrontation. Not holding a grudge, not gossiping or triangulating, not the silent treatment, nor a social media post, but courageous, direct, face-to-face -face communication. Of course, we know that that's not always possible due to the nature of 
the harm done or the possibility of further harm. But when it is possible, in my experience, it's often all it takes to turn the situation or to turn people around. If, however, Jesus continues, the offender refuses to listen, wait, did you catch that? The offender or the accused has a role to play also, to listen, to listen to the other person and what they have to show you or teach you. But if, Jesus says, the offender refuses to do that, if the offender refuses to listen, don't give up. Try again, but this time take someone with you, someone you can trust to bear witness to the exchange. Not to take your side, but to bear witness to the exchange without getting drawn in or escalating the situation. And if the offender still refuses to listen, still don't give up. Draw in the broader community because the whole community is at stake here and is affected and bears some responsibility. But if the offender still refuses to listen, Jesus says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That does sound harsh, and it has been used wrongfully and harmfully. So I want to make two points about it. First, remember how Jesus interacts with tax collectors and Gentiles throughout the New Testament. He cares for them and doesn't give up on them. They remain recipients of prayer and mercy and hope. And many of them find their way into Christian community, where Christ and his followers receive them and rejoice. Second, there are consequences to sin. And some behaviors, some systems are so harmful to communities or victims or offenders themselves that they cannot be tolerated. There are times when the most loving and helpful and hopeful thing we can do is to say, enough, stop, time out. Oh, that takes me back to one of the books I used to read with my children almost every night, Where the Wild Things Are by Maurice Sendak. We read that book so often that I could almost recite it by heart to this day. The night Max wore his wolf suit to bed and made mischief of one kind and another, his mother called him wild thing. And he said, I'll eat you up. So he was sent to bed without eating anything. And that very night in Max's room, a forest grew and grew and grew. And an ocean tumbled by with a private boat for Max, and he sailed off through time to where the wild things are. He met monsters there, monsters who roared their terrible roars and gnashed their terrible teeth and rolled their terrible eyes till Max said, be still, and looked them all straight in the eye. And they were still. 
and they made Max king of all the wild things, and they all had a wild rumpus until Max started to feel lonely and miss home. But the wild things cried, oh, please don't go. We'll eat you up. We love you so. And Max said, no. Then Max sailed back through years and weeks and a day and into his very own bedroom, where, and this is the last line of the book, he found his supper waiting for him, and it was still hot. What a great metaphor for today's teachings and for God's justice. Max was acting out in a way that was not good for himself or his mom or anyone else. Wearing his wolf suit, he was wearing his worst self, and his mother called him on it or tried to call him out of it. And when he didn't listen, she gave him time out. Maybe she was really giving herself time out, but either way, she gave Max time and space to work out what he needed to work out, to face his own wild side, his fears and frustrations without doing more harm. She gave him a path back to himself, back to relationship, back to family, a path that she knew he could take. She knew he would take. And so she waited for him. And then Max came home. He came home with a new perspective and without his full wolf suit. This is what I see in Christ's teachings today. Justice that has faith in everyone involved. Justice that restores, heals, and transforms. Sometimes that justice means holding your tongue or letting something go. Other times it means having hard conversations, speaking hard truths, and saying no when you have to. Too often, Christians tend toward one side or the other, as reflected in two very common responses to our reading today, or interpretations of our reading today. There are those, on the one hand, who take it as license to jump up onto a moral pedestal and to condemn, hurt, gang up, to cancel or dismiss people or issues they just don't like, who use it to refuse to wrestle with them and learn from them. And then there are those who hide behind their niceness and use their niceness to avoid accountability and confrontation and standing firm for anything. And so they tend to spiritualize away this gospel's concreteness or to just dismiss it altogether. But in their tolerance of harmful systems or harmful behaviors, they too are refusing to work through conflict or through wrongdoing. And both approaches miss the spiritual opportunity here. Yes, the spiritual opportunity. Where two or three are gathered together, there is conflict, to be sure. And where two or three are gathered together, there is Jesus Christ. 
We Christians trust that Christ is present when we agree and when we disagree, when we hurt and when we hurt others. Christ is present in our hardest conflicts. Christ is present where the wild things are. And so, in that faith, in that hope, we Christians hang in there in conflict, seeking God's will for restoration and asking, how is God at work here? In the conflicts you are dealing with today, ask, how is God at work here in this situation, in me, in you, in this community? What might healing look like here? And how can we move toward it with God's help? Amen.